All right. Welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where you get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Today, I have uh, a special guest on the podcast. Every week is a special guest, but today, pretty interested in your story. This is a young man who literally escaped, I guess, from Afghanistan. And, you know, when he was 12, like, I don't know what you guys were doing when you were 12, but I can bet majority of you listening to the podcast were not trying to flee a conflict zone and resettle in another country. And we're going to be talking to him about that experience, you know, a little bit about his early life, his experience, what he's doing now and what he hopes to do for the future. And hopefully, you know, infuse some Afghani culture into that whole thing. So welcome to Let's go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. How's your day going, man? How's your day going? You know, these days, my days are uh, kind of wrapped up around COVID. Uh, you know, I work in healthcare industry and also, you know, kind of that's where my passion is. So these days is literally wrapped around, you know, responding to COVID. But beyond that, it's going well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well as well. I mean, I love your drip, man. Like you guys can't see us because we're not recording a video, but like, I Ahmed has like a black leather jacket, <laughs> like this kick-ass jacket he has going on. I mean, it's it's getting to the winter, so everyone's wearing a jacket. Thank but, you. you know, it's been a cold day, but <laughs> you, you wouldn't know he works in healthcare. You would think it was in a rock band or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm excited for this conversation today, actually. Most definitely, yeah. most definitely. I guess we can, before we kick in, this is kind of like our very, my very first in-person interview. I want to say since... I want to say since April, I think, okay. or March, because, yeah. you know, since once COVID hit, like, you know, everyone, you know, kind of like I was interviewing people remotely for the most part mm-hmm. on Zoom. I haven't really had an in-person interview. And you're my very first guest. That's why I had a little bit of precaution. I had like the, what they call this thing? The, uh, the gun. temperature's gone. Yeah, yep. the temperature mm-hmm. gone. Just mm-hmm. check, you know, make sure that we're yep. safe and mm-hmm. all that. Yep. So, but uh, yeah. glad you're on the podcast. So we got it. And we have to do that, though. I mean, these days, you got to make sure you're doing your due diligence and things like that. So, yeah, happy to be here. Most definitely. Most definitely. Let's peel back the layers a little bit. Let's go way, way, way yeah. back. Um <laughs> We were born in Afghanistan. Yeah. What town were you born in? So I was born in a town called, well, the smaller town is called Jaguri, uh, but I was born in a province called Ghazni, which is central Afghanistan, very mountainous. The weather almost is like Colorado, dry, cold winters, very hot summers, things like that. So that's where I was born um, in Ghazni. Yep. And what were some of like your earliest memories growing up like what was fun to do in Afghanistan do you grow up like playing soccer on the street like as a little kid say like five six years old you know what I used to look forward to was the uh, fall season because uh, you know right after the summer we would have all of our you know kind of the harvest season so harvest season was my favorite because it was always very um, plenty because there was always stuff to eat there was food around and this was like what August it was August timeline yeah so i mean harvest season was my favorite was that what it was called harvest season or there's a particular name for it uh, yeah so the, so there's a the thing called there's called a haranjoy and haranjoy is basically like a, a field that's been cleared out for like um you know harvest season where you take all of your crops and you put it there and it's very clean and you you know shake out whether it's rice wheat whatever that might be and you kind of take everything so it was like a, it's it's a very community field um so i always look forward to that 
because it was just fun to be there and also it was always a lot to eat so yeah i can yeah. imagine like it reminds me of like going to the village uh back in nigeria like you okay. go to the village in december and most of our grandparents were farmers right so mm-hmm. we we'll go to the farm yeah. like bring back the cocoa yam the maize and all that and there'll be like this big barn and you know uh the women will help like roast the yam and we'll, like eat it with palm oil that kind of thing what were some of the foods uh you remember you loved like uh during the uh, harvest season so there is a little special tree that they make and i remember this from my grandmother um it was out of um so it's berries they dry out over season and they over like when then they add some palm dates they add some more sugar in there and they kind of grind everything together over the summer it's supposed to be like a snack pack but that was it's like a sweet sugary uh fun snack so that's something i look forward to and also my mother's bread like when she would make bread that would her be her bread in particular her bread in particular <laughs> you know she would put them in this like so we would have we had clay oven and she would kind of slap the that dough in there and it would be like this amazing bread that we would have for dinner breakfast and we would put some you know butter on top and And was it flat flat uh-huh. bread flat bread mm. mm-hmm. yeah so uh so bread has always been and i always say like i'm not a biggest re- rice fan no no uh you know this to anybody else that's out there but i've always been used to bread because i grew up with that but you know flat bread every morning with some butter and cheese was kind of breakfast yeah i'm sure sarah lee will be happy to hear that one <laughs> <laughs> hey sponsor <laughs> too bad i'm not sponsoring this episode um But anyway, would you say that a lot of people were farmers when you were growing up? Like um, people who you had to look up to were, what, how small was the town? Was everyone kind of like a farmer or did you have other occupations? Like as a little kid, what did you see yourself becoming? Did you see yourself in healthcare or no? I always saw myself in healthcare. I, again, my dad was a dentist and I always strived to be in healthcare. So, so yeah, no, healthcare, all this, uh, it was always my goal. But where I grew up, it was mainly uh, farming, cattle ranching and that was the main uh kind of uh the income source in that community at that point but for myself yeah i always saw myself being in healthcare because i do have a passion around you know people's healthcare and how to be a good community out there and how to provide some of these best practices so yeah no for myself i saw healthcare but in that community itself it was mainly farming ranching uh, i mean hey i there was afternoons that i was taking like 50 to 60 goats and sheep up to the mountain and, and getting them fed and then bring them back. Really? How old were you? Oh, at that point, I was 10 years old. Wow. Yeah. 50, 60 goats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. that, that's how, I mean, as a village, you would, prov- I mean, you can't afford to hire, you know, individual uh, sheep herders and things like that per family. So as a result, like a, a huge village was come, come together and they would hire one. So I happened to do it at some point. Yeah. Did you ever have any kind of interesting experience? Like if it was a mountainous region, I don't know what kind of animals were in the mountains. You guys have like mountain lions or something that could like prey on the goats and stuff. So we had a lot of wolves. Uh, a lot of wolves, mountain lions a little bit, um, bears a little bit, but mainly, I mean, I would stay, I would be staying around where my family was. So I did not have any experience. However, I knew of stories of folks that had gone out and mountain lions gotten them or wolves have gotten them and, uh, well, they're sheep and they're hurt, so... Wow. Yeah. So that's, I mean, yeah, but I did not personally experience anything that closely. No. Well, lucky you, yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very lucky. Yeah. 
clarify this for me. So I was doing a little bit of research uh, about Afghanistan, and apparently, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a huge, like, kind of, like, personality or star. Like, a lot of young boys had the poster of Arnold on their wall. Was that your experience in your little town? Or who did you guys look up to in in regards to, like, international Can I be very honest with you? Go go for it. (laughs) So I I truly never had—I never look at it that way because as a uh, cisgender, uh, you know, gay dude sitting here, I actually did not. Um, But there was a lot of things with that around—you know, a lot of dudes when we had Arnold Schwarzenegger that came out with the posters and things like that. A lot of our dudes did, but I I personally did not. I I never kind of thought about it, so maybe that's kind of where I am at. But overall, yeah, there's a lot of attraction and there's a lot of um, attention from the media when it when it came out in Afghanistan, especially and also Pakistan too. So yeah, got it, got it. Okay, yeah. so um, you're this ten year old kid, you know, going harvest to harvest every year, taking goats up yeah. to the street, up to the mountain. I'm sorry, uh, you know, just living your communal life with your village, with your community. At what point did the conflict start in your town in particular? Well, not generally in the country. I don't know. You said your your, your town was kind of like in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, when, like, you know, the war started, did it, like, start all over? Did it, like, creep up the country? Like, how was your experience? How did you remember that? Oh, the war started slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the capital and then it started into Kandahar. Where is the capital? South, north? Uh, capital is a little bit north of Ghazni, north of where, where I was. So starting in the capital and then Kandahar, which is a little bit south of Ghazni. Um, I would say 9, 10, I was, you know, hearing about these things and things were kind of creeping up a lot more. And then leading up to 12, it kind of erupted. And it was just... How, how did it start? Did you just, your, your mom stopped you guys from going out into the street to play? You guys just started hearing sounds and the night of like gunfire what was that slow build up oh uh, no no so i would tell you that there is this um weird information between parents and families telling you about other tribes and not to mix and mingle. I mean, I was in Rwanda in January, actually, uh, you know, between the two. T- I mean, uh, you know, that's the kind of information that they give you not to, you know, intermingle, do not mix with them. You kind of learn about that very early within your childhood. But then when you grow up to be that age, you kind of hear more about about it. And you see kind of your village members that are acting differently and weirdly against you. Uh, you see folks that are maybe sabotaging and also being differently to you in front of your face. So things like that, you kind of hear that very early in the process. But when you get to like a 10, 11 years old, you kind of see that a little bit more often. I don't know if that helps answer your question, but that's kind of yeah. how I came across that. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. And I kind of like have a follow up question. So in the structure and the makeup of that particular region, I would assume a lot of people were Muslim, if not everyone were Muslim. 99%. 99%. But even within, was so religion wasn't enough to bring people together there were still tribal issues among like we have them in every country to this day i mean tribal issues i mean they i mean if if you kind of go back into the history of like pakistan afghanistan the region where i'm in uh, i mean i also still believe that i'm you know kind of a mix between a mongolian somewhere in my ancestry there is some mongolian involved um but there is a huge rift between the sunnis and the shias how that's going to be solved who knows i don't have a clue about it but that's been a rift for a while now so and that's kind of like a global thing right yeah um and, and that's almost like more religious than cultural even though it's a little bit uh, yeah yeah there's a mix about it but yeah mm-hmm. 
Okay, so like the war started, you had this, how old were you at that point? Oh, I mean, the war started before, like, I mean, I was like nine years old when the war started. Mm. The time that I was getting out of Afghanistan and Pakistan was about 12, 13 years old. That oh, was like wow. a few years later. So yeah. what was happening in these three years? Were you just living your normal life, going to school and all that stuff? I was, I was. I was, um, again, uh, my dad was always a proponent. Uh, I mean, she, he always was like, you know, learn English, you know, know your, you know, go to school, learn your subjects and things like that. But when he disappeared, I mean, we had no clue what to do. But at that point, we were, I mean, in that three years, I was still kind of normal life, normal kind of going to school, getting up every day. My mom was around, my dad was around. So everything was very, very normal. It was a good time. Wow. So you said eventually your dad disappeared. Like, explain that. What do you mean by that? So my dad worked for an American NGO called NGO called MCI Mercy Corps. Um, because they are an American NGO, my dad, being a Muslim and from being from Afghanistan and a dentist, was not accepted at that time to be able to work with them. Because you know, if you know about the Muslim, um, well, it's a religion. They, you know, working with a non-Muslim is infidel. It's it's called the kafir. It's an Arabic word called kafir. So uh, having, you know, we were not able to, we got lots of threats. Uh, my dad got, and then I told, we were we were talking about through this whole thing, but I knew he was not going to listen to any of all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, he made a journey down to go to um, Kandahar from our province in Afghanistan. And on the way, we have not heard from him or seen him ever since. And that has been since wow. 2015 now got into Pakistan because that's a neighbor country. You know, all of our people have been going in and out of there. So when I got there, I found out that, you know, I couldn't go anywhere else beyond that country because you would either require visa or some kind of an invitation or things like that. So I was not able to go anywhere. Um, So when I got there, my only other option was Malaysia. And that's how I got out. Wow. How long did you stay in Pakistan? Oh, max nine days. Oh, so it was... It was literally Afghanistan, Pakistan, Malaysia. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long did you end up staying in Malaysia? Two and a half, three years. And you were... Tw- so you stayed there, you know, to your early teens. I what, was in an orphanage. What, okay. Yeah. I was going to get there. Like, how did you... No, I was in an orphanage. Um, and again, I will keep it very honest with your audience and you. For the first part, eight months, I would say, I was human trafficked. Wow. Uh, in Malaysia, and then I um, was so I was I was able to I literally so I was like in an apartment that was on the eleventh floor. I was locked up every day, and um, th- one day I was able to go get some groceries, and and I had the keys, and I you know walked past by uh, a key maker, and I I made a duplicate of the key, and that's the only reason I got out, and I went to uh, United Nation and helped them kind of tell them about my story. But that's kind of my the first one year of being in Malaysia. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about it right now. Like you, you were like, what, 13, 14 at this 14 point? 14 and max at that point. Damn. Yeah. 
That's crazy. So you went to the United Nations, and is that when you told them your story? Is that when you, they started to arrange for you to move to the U.S.? No, that's when I told them my story, and then it took another three years to process everything. And where were you during that three years? In that orphanage. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, so it was an orphanage owned by the U.N. or funded it, by the it U.N.? It wasn't kind of. owned by them, but they mm. had a partnership. It was With, a local uh, orphanage. So I would tell you, 14 of those kids, I mean, again, were there were 15. 15 of us, 14 of them were all local kids that either they were single parent moms or they did not have dads and things like that. They were so they were in that orphanage. So I was the only one that was an international and somebody that did not have a next kin in that country. So uh, and also being undocumented. So yeah, and, and being in an orphanage, like I can imagine like being an orphanage for little kids, like, you know, maybe like abandoned babies, you take care of them. But being in an orphanage as a teenager, like, how was that like? Like, is it, you know, you watch movies or, or read some books and, you know, for teenage experiences in orphanage can be a lot more traumatizing than... Was that your experience in any way? Uh, the actual, I mean, uh, orphanage part was a little bit weird, a little bit funky in some days, a little like better some other days, uh, things like that. But overall, I mean, I just, the feeling itself being a refugee kid in a different country and especially being in an orphanage you uh because the reason why i felt a little bit and this might be just me is that for the whole time i was in malaysia i was undocumented so i was not able to go to school um have any kind of uh, social interaction or able to do anything around development and things like that so that was a fact and 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 malaysia has not signed into the international you know unicr convention um, so that was the biggest struggle every day. Um, and every time that we would even have um, events for the uh, shelter, we call it shelter, that's a shelter, um, the orphanage. And they would, um, I wouldn't be able to go to um, events where it included VIPs around political folks because I did not have any documentation. Uh, so they put a lot of not only doubt around my own self-image, but also um, how to get around it and do better. And, and all this time, you weren't in contact with your family at all. Like, this must have been the mid-2000s, so not like the phones were as popular as they are now. When I was in Malaysia, I did not have any contact with my family. And I found out about them when I got back in the U.S. And it was around, oh, that's what the reason I mentioned 2015, um, is that I was able to get in contact with my uncle and then get in contact with my family through that. And was it the same uncle you walked to his house? Uh, correct, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, um, and that was like, you know, the 28, you know, 205, 208 timeline to all the way to 2018 that I was not able to talk to my family. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. So, sorry, I'm a little choked up about it, but that's kind of. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's uh, real stuff, man. Like, I, I can't even like start to imagine. So the, the UN like ultimately got you to the US. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. What state were you settled in? Colorado. Oh, so you've been here ever since. Mm -hmm. Oh, got it. What well, What was your perception? Because at this point, three years, you're like, what, 17 now or something? Yeah. Like you, you came, you had been out of school for a little while. 
you came to Colorado. What was your first? I was like late end of my 17 going into 18. So yeah. 18. Yeah. But what was your first perception of the United States? Like how did it feel Cold. like that first day? Oh, when did you land? What time of the year? December 10. Oh, okay. In JFK. <laughs> In New York. Okay. In JFK. And it was like cold as shit. Uh, but my first impression, I, um, so I landed in like JFK and then I slept over in a hotel overnight and my hotel out from, um, New York to Colorado was out of LaGuardia, not JFK. So it was a different airport. Um, and I remember getting into, um, Denver at three o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, man, I want some pizza. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was the first thing I like, <laughs> yeah. oh so that was kind of my first impression yeah when you're back in malaysia did you ever talk to i don't know how many people are going through the same process that you were going through like trying to get resettled in another country but do you guys ever talk about like with your friends in the orphanage that wow when i get to us or wherever it is i'm going like this is what i'm gonna do this is what i'm looking forward to did you guys like daydream in a sense uh, so no, because like the, the orphanage folks that I was like living with, they were local Malaysians. So, so none of them were trying to get out. You were the only I one. W- I mm. literally was the only one. So I was placed there because I was, um, minor. I was at 16, 15 years old at that point. Uh, so they put me in that home to kind of keep me because uh, before that I was being human trafficked. So I had to, you know, well, UNHCR was like, no, this is the best way for you to kind of stay close and make sure that we can monitor you but i didn't really have any uh, i mean i couldn't even um i couldn't relate to my peers in that house because they were going to school every day i couldn't go to school um they were documented i was not documented um they could do a lot of things that i couldn't do because i again i was an afghan boy refugee uh 15 years old that was kind of basically my status at that point so Got it. Got yeah. It. And when you came to the U.S., like how in programs like this, like how far does the support go? Like, are you supported financially for a few months? Are you placed with a job? Like, how did that go? Like the next few months of landing in Colorado? Uh, well, I would say in terms of like finding a job. Uh, well, let me take a step back, actually. Um, as far as how the system could go and support folks that were in my position or forward, could they have done a better job yet? Did they do a good job? Not really. Um, so in those terms, I would say, you know, in terms of finding a job and employment, things like that, there could be a lot of things that the state could do. Could do. Uh, for my part, I would say... I think there could be a, a little bit more of a coalition within the community um, to help each other out a little bit more in terms what, of what community? support. Community of my background, your background, mm-hmm. community of uh, refugees in general, communities of immigrants in general, communities of folks uh, that are of ethnic colors, uh, communities of folks that are uh, marginalized, communities of folks that are um, a lot more targeted. So that's kind of my, I mean, that's where I sit. And if we can form a coalition and provide a little bit more support to our brothers and sisters within this community, such as myself, yourself, and other folks, I think that would be kind of next step and how we can uh, direct some of the attention. Interesting. Yeah. Were you, did you feel unwelcome in any way when you came to Colorado? How easy was it for you to integrate? Because um, I, I want to, like, you yeah, spoke English yeah. at that point, right? Yeah. Even though you spoke, like, Farsi and, yeah. and Urdu yeah. back home. Um, yeah. But how easy was it for you to, like, integrate into, like, American culture? My part, I mean, it, it's 
been fairly easy because I've always spoken English and it's always been my strongest forte. So I've never uh, in a, in high school, there was a little bit of um, some folks, you know, kind of bullying and things like that. Uh, but beyond that, I, I mean, again, knock on wood, I've never really felt any kind of um, experience around my language and my looks and things like that. Yeah. And in that part, I'm very lucky because I know we experience a lot of um, uh, misogyny, uh, racial stuff and things like that. And, and um, yeah. Got it. Okay, so you were 17, 18, and you had to go back to school. Yeah. I mean, right now you have a master's, so that's, you know, like <laughs> light years from where you were yeah. at that point. But yeah. if you were 17, 18, what grade did you have to go back to? So um, December 2010, I was giving an exam for two years of classes. So ninth and 10th grade. And then in that spring, the following 2011, I was going to give exam for um, 2011 and 2012. So I passed those two, uh, four years and two years. And I, um, I mean, May 2011, May 10th, actually, I was selected as my, the valedictorian to my high school. And wow. yeah, I finished off my high school with being a valedictorian. So, and I gave a speech and then the next day I found out that I had a full ride scholarship to Regis University. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's that's a typical immigrant story, <laughs> right? Seriously, yeah. though, like, we come in our like, like they they ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, I literally like one day I was like a valedictorian, like, I, and I was never gonna go to uh, Regis because they're so expensive. Yeah, they're like four nine thousand dollars. I don't have that kind of money. I don't have that kind of backing. So I was like, okay, never mind. Nothing. I'm going to go to Front Range Community College. Mm -hmm. And uh, the next day after, I got an email. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is crazy. Well, you did apply, right, to, to get accepted. To Regis? Mm -hmm. I applied literally the last day only because my counselor forced me because I was like, I never, because my, my plan the whole time was just to go to community college. And so was that the only university you applied to? Oh no, I, I, I applied to uh, Grand Junction Mesa. I applied to Alamusa. I applied to Harvard. I applied to Yale, uh, all of which I got accepted into. I actually got also you, you got accepted into Harvard and Yale. Yes, I did. Interesting. Yes. I, uh, at that point I could not, um, actually Harvard had a program at that point around refugees and kids coming into this country and and uh, them getting accepted into uh, programs. Uh, but I could not get out of that because at that point I was part of uh, the system. I was part of the Colorado, um, you know, kids that are in the foster care system. Uh, and as part of that, I had to be around my foster care family for, you know, 20 miles. 20, so, okay. So uh, the foster care system for people who are um, explaining that for people who are listening, like from other countries. Yeah. So the, the yeah. government places you with a family. Into a home with a family mm -hmm. and you are to stay around that family around a certain miles, around certain kilometers, whatever that might be. Uh, foster care system. But yeah, no, I. I was fully happily accepted into Harvard, Yale. Um, Were these full rides as well? Uh huh. Wow. Uh, I, I, well, one thing that I am, um, and I still talk to one of my caseworkers from Denver uh, Human Services, and I'm like, you know, you guys fucked me over, but um, I got accepted into all of this, but I could not get out of it because I had to be a part of the system and I had to be a part of here uh, because Denver, well, uh, the state in Colorado had uh, jurisdiction over me, Denver and city and county of Denver had my case, so I had to show up to uh, 
a court every month. Yeah, I was gonna ask like, what's like you have to physically? And we had social work every month. Case too. case work means that you're keeping tabs on yeah. you pretty much, and mm -hmm. like every month your, your progress, like what you're doing, your school. Uh, what are the kind of things you talk about with your case workers? Uh, with my caseworkers at that point, I mean, uh, times have changed a little bit more now. But at that point, I, you know, mainly it was like, okay, here's my struggles. Here's what I want to do. Um, in the beginning, goodness gracious, it was a lot of struggles because I'm a free spirit person and I, I have a lot of ambitions and I'm very ambitious in my, uh, in the ways I do things. Um, but in the beginning, it was a lot of kind of um, going against each other because, you know, as a city and county, they were like, no, you can't do this. Mm, like, well, what's an example of you can't do? Well, as a as a sixteen, seventeen year well, seventeen year old, you I couldn't sleep over. I couldn't again, I applied to Harvard and Yale. Um, those are my ambitions. And I mean I'm gonna I was planning on going to MD school there. Um but I couldn't go in there because again, I was part of the city and county and the state. I couldn't be around anybody that didn't have any kind of background check around 30 miles radius. I couldn't um, just kind of have a, an afternoon to go pick up uh, some food from McDonald's because it had to be approved. All the trips and everything wow. had to be approved. Um, so yeah, as a child, there was a lot of struggles around that. Wow. How, how was your foster family? Like, talk to me about your foster parents. Like, did, did they have other kids? Did Did they have other foster kids? How was it like, like growing up with them? And what, are you still in touch with them? Uh, yes, with my foster mother. Yes, I'm in touch with her. Um, I don't. I don't think she knew what she was getting into uh, when she was getting into this um, because I bring a set of uh, dynamic value with myself. So it was a little bit of struggle in the beginning. I still talk with her. I don't know uh, how much of a hard conversation and or um, a tough one it was for her or myself. But for now, it's been just kind of steady. Did you? Ha were there certain points where you had a job or no? I was working the whole time the, the moment I got here and in so I got here December 10th I was kind of seeking like high school education going into January uh, 2011 and then I worked from up until you know from there I started working at King Supers uh, which until, is like a grocery chain uh -huh, in the US yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I worked for them like almost six and a half seven years old you know and then I kind of started working for Sincere Health and kind of we moved on yeah From there. But the whole time I have been working, I mean, it is because through a foster family, through a foster situation, you don't necessarily inquire any kind of stability. So you have to uh, work for yourself and make sure that you can provide for yourself and your family and your, uh, you know, kind of, again, yourself. So um, part of that has been really just working really hard the whole time. Again, um, just me trying to understand the whole situation. Yeah. Like when you came into the U.S., did you go through the refugee system of, you know, you're, you're like kind of like a refugee, then you apply for a green card, takes a number of years, you get your green card that kind of thing um or did you already have status while you were placed in foster care or you were in the process of getting status that kind of thing? no going through the asylum process procedure refugee procedure green card procedure and then finally getting the citizenship got it yeah got mm -hmm. it got yeah. and this was a long it took how long did it take oh the citizenship you at least have to wait five years so uh, up until when i was getting my green card that was two years so it's an eight-year wait Now, this whole thing was happening like from 2011 to 
2010, you know, do you think the system, do you think what you went through, you know, getting resettled, do you think it's possible today for someone who's in your situation, like a 14-year-old kid currently in Malaysia? Do you think it's possible today? How possible is it if you were to assign like a percentage? Because in as much as things might not have been perfect for you, you know, when you were growing up, but how do you think it'll be for like young kids right now, given the current climate? kind of thing um yeah i mean well what i will tell you right off the back is that um uh if i was me uh, back in malaysia i would be very afraid of for me because the the country and the acceptance rate and also the rate the way we're accepting asylum seekers refugees is kind of going down i would be very scared for me um but beyond that i mean it's I struggle with that question because it's it's, it's hard because right now uh, this country that I kind of came to with a lot of hopes and dreams with is not very much up to the task and up to the par. Um, so I don't know, but I would be hopeful. Yeah. I mean, you said eventually you got in touch with like your brothers and your mom yeah. like uh, back in Afghanistan. Like, how are they doing? So they are actually not, they're not in Afghanistan right now. They live as refugees in Pakistan. Um, they're doing A-OK. Um, I talk to them almost every week, um, but they're kind of just living there without any kind of goals and or direction. Um, Do you ever feel guilty in any way that you kind of like, made it out air quotes and they're still used to have families oh yeah in psychology there's like called a survivor's guilt Mm -hmm. i have that pretty often because um you know i again just like your introduction today earlier you know i live like a life where i you know i'm comfortable in some you know um instances and i talk to them and then i feel like i'm like oh my god there's a lot going on beyond what i even knew about uh, for myself, I have a lot of, you know, um, guilt and and feeling like I'm not doing the best I can. Yeah. Do you feel that? Um, well, my... Not knowing a lot about you, but... Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. My, my, my case is somewhat different. So I, I didn't have to go through nearly as much as you went through. I came here for school. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, fair. It's not a perfect situation, but... Yeah. I didn't have to go through like multiple countries or like yeah. I flew I flew here, I came here, went to school, yeah. whatnot, uh, got a job. And we're just trying to, you know, make it work mm-hmm. uh, as, as we proceed. I haven't been here for too long. I came here in 2017. Okay. So, um, yeah, so far so good. Um, but let me touch on one subject uh, about your sexu- sexuality, if I may. Sure, um, yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in this Muslim town. Yeah. And I can only imagine, like, for someone like you. First, let me ask, like, when you were living in Afghanistan, had you already understood that you were gay? Like, had you already come to terms with your sexuality back then? I hadn't come to terms with it, but mm-hmm. I knew about it, yeah. Did your family know about it? Most likely. I mean, that, but that was never a topic that we discussed about and or uh, chatted more about. Um, have I known that I've been a cisgendered homosexual d- g- dude? Yes. Um, have I, w- did I accept it prior to me coming out? Most likely not. Uh, but did I, but am I much more relieved now today? Yes, most likely. Do you think that was, that was one of the reasons why your mom wanted to get you out or it was was more like the first son uh you know situations 
I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. It could be both. Um, but I, I, I mean, I would think that at that point, right now, at that point, we, I was really trying to deal with my dad being gone right off the back, and I was the next um, oldest son in the family. So yeah, it could have been both. But my um, guess would be on the you know, kind of my dad being gone after that, yeah. Got it, got it. And, and I'm not sure if you're still currently, like, a practicing, like, Muslim or anything, but do you, how do you, like, I can Im- only imagine the backlash you get from that particular community. How do you even start to, based on <laughs> you're going through all this stuff with immigration on yeah. one side, and then on another side, like, <laughs> you have your religion and your sexuality that might not necessarily agree. How do you even start to navigate that? Uh, the way I start navigating with it is, Nusa, is that I, um, I've come to terms where I, you know, my sexuality and my, per- who I am as a person is who I am. And uh, I will not sit here and or talk about a religion that's not gonna, you know, support me. So, you know, I've taken my, you know, who I am is who I am. And you know, go from there. And if we have differences, we can deal with it. Um, But beyond that, I don't think that I practice Islam or Christianity in any matter specifically. Uh, But I'm, you know, all for somebody, you know, live and let them live. That's kind of how my motto is. And I've taken that to, you know, very much closely into my how I do things. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, your professional life. Um, so obviously you said, you know, your dad was a dentist. You've always been interested in the health sector. You applied to be an MD to go to college. You eventually got a master's in health administration. Um, like what's your what's your day-to-day like, like in, in your current role? Like what do you do, that kind of thing? My day-to-day uh uh, so I, for Sincere Health, mainly see all of our uh, corporate accounts and corporate uh, contracts that we have. So my day-to-day stuff is mainly uh, structured around project management uh, and also, you know, kind of making sure that we're, you know, following up on our contract. And then also a lot of operation um, issues that we have on day-to-day. Uh, but part of my other biggest part of my job is also making sure that I'm compliant. Uh, Sincere Health is compliant with... Um, um, CDC, CDPHE, and all of those other governing bodies. So that's kind of how my days go. So my, I would say 70% of my day is on a call. Um, and then beyond that is kind of project manage up until next four hours. So yeah. And the health sector in the U.S. is pretty, I don't even know what word to use. It's like uh, complex. Scattered. <laughs> it's, it's pretty complex. I, I would imagine like just being in health administration and working for a company like Centura, like you go through a lot of stuff. Like, do you do a lot of negotiation in your role? A lot of contract negotiations, mm. yep. So I negotiate a lot of pricing around whether it's a product, service, um, you know, kind of an outsource, you know, uh, FTE stuff. Yeah, so that I do a lot of negotiations, yeah. And healthcare, healthcare products can, can be, healthcare in general can be highly competitive. Yeah. So how do you like, anytime I talk to someone who, you know, works in a place or runs a business or something, I always like to ask them about stuff that Maybe some of our listeners who are interested in entrepreneurship in the future can use. So what are some practical tips specifically to negotiation? You said some of the secrets you can give out that 
you've used in the past uh, to help your cause, like to win certain contracts or to push certain, you know, terms in your favor, that kind of thing? Okay. Like, do you make sure that you put the coffee in front of the person you're talking to so he knows you mean business? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, so from a negotiation perspective, uh, here's a couple of things that I I personally use in my own um, uh, office days and also how I go about doing some stuff is always make sure you can aggregate your data as much as you can. Um, always make sure that you can, you know, if you have a different kind of operation, if you can bring them under, under one, that's always going to provide you the upper hand. If you can always try to uh, consolidate from a vendor payment perspective, you know, uh, consolidate that. I mean, those are a couple of things that I use in my own um, portfolio uh, with the vendors that I deal with currently. And uh, there's a couple of things that I won't be able to share with you uh, from a confidential perspective. But overall, I would say consolidating your volume stream, uh, outlining how you do things, and also how do you report out those things. I mean, those are the four things that I can think about. How important is knowing person you're negotiating with like how important is it in knowing like his his or her personality how they do things in order to give you the upper hand do you rely less on that on your field because a lot of things are standardized in the health sector or you know you deal with a thousand vendors like you can't possibly get into details but maybe for some of the bigger Mm -hmm. negotiations do that come into play Uh, so for my part i've always um I don't, I mean, I always say it's all only business decision. I don't have any personal opinion and or um, kind of push around it. It's always around just kind of the business case. And if the business case requires it, I feel okay with it. If it is not, then it is what it is. So I don't, I have not really personally pushed any of that. So as far as it goes, I'm like, if it's a, there, we have a business case, we're good with it. If not, then let's talk about it. Okay. Um, the way we met, actually, uh, a friend of ours, a, a mutual friend, uh, Kenneth, was trying like a housewarming party or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because I think he has another one tomorrow. That dude likes party. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hope you're there. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to be. I mean, I have my, my brother's coming into town tomorrow. I have to pick him up from the airport. And there's a thing at Aurora. Okay. I'll, but I'll, I'll try to stop by just uh, for like 30 minutes or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, and I reached out to to Victor, uh, the person who put us yeah. together, Victor uh-huh. Obi. I mean, we went to college together back in Nigeria, and I was like, "Hey, I'm interviewing Ahmed. You know, what's your question for him? Because I want to <laughs> put this on record." And yeah. I wrote this down actually. It was like, "Oh, ask Ahmed how he balances work and play, because that dude <laughs> plays just as hard as he works." So that's Victor's question for you. <laughs> So, how do you balance it? First, is that through? Do you, you play as hard as you work or even harder than you work? No, I would say I, he was going to ask that question. I am um, right here. Uh, so, as far as playing and uh, do I work hard? Yes, I put a lot of effort into it. Uh, do I play as hard? I don't know if I play as hard, but um, I'm kind of just like in between. I mean, I will do whatever it takes. I'm going to be there. It is what it is. So so what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Watch TV and swim. Oh, God. You live in Colorado, goddammit. <laughs> I know I do, but I, like, I, I went to like, so I, so just so you know, uh, for high school, like competitive swim, like when I got here, 
year I got into high school and I got into like competitive swing. So I like I went all the way up to state level and I was competing for my high school. So swimming like was my one of the ways that I got my stress out. Um, so and I still kind of do that even if it's not all the time because it's so cold. So, uh, but I still I don't play as hard as I I you know work hard. So got it, got yeah. it. You know what? I want to get into swimming because you know I have a, like an old knee injury from soccer okay. when I used to play soccer in college and uh, I can't put as much pressure on my knee like running or anything like yeah. that so I really yeah. want to get into swimming but COVID has just you know left me a little bit uh, skeptical or whatnot any advice like you swim competitively I'm not going to be swimming competitively I just want to like stay fit and lose weight that kind of stuff do you do you swim a certain style or do you swim like a certain number amount of minutes a day or do you swim do like a certain do, amount of minutes? I do not do any of those. Okay. Um, I like to say if the, the Titanic drowned, I would have been able to swim to a raft. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I you could have at least made it. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's like, you know, so I can swim, but um, like as far as strokes go, a general breaststroke, I guess. Okay. And, you know, the backstroke uh, is pretty much what I what I do. But to swim in order to like lose weight or remain healthy, are yeah. there certain styles that are advised? Not really, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, swimming generally, you use a lot of your muscles so you can, you know, swim along. Uh, my preferred method is like butterfly. That's what I prefer, uh, even though I don't have a lot of big shots. Shoulders. Um, oh, you uh, need big shoulders for butterfly. Maybe I'll butterfly because you're like you're literally like you know oh. swooping in the water as yeah. you go into it because you're putting up both of your arms and like swimming in water. So usually you have bigger shoulders. I don't, but that was my preference. And then breaststroke is kind of that general one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think I still haven't located like an Olymp- Olympic size swimming pool, even though I know there'll be a couple. Maybe I just haven't searched enough. But I live in Glendale, so... Uh I live, I don't have one around me either. I mean, I was, this was high school, so that was six years ago. Yeah, so I did not, um, I didn't do any swim in college because we didn't have a team. And then moving on there, I was trying to get into a couple of other teams at a state level after I got out of college, so never got it done, so. Got it, got it. Okay, I mean... Also, been... shout out to Victor. Shout out to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he'll probably be listening to this one. Um, but yeah, man, um, thank you for really being on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, uh, apologies to my listeners if uh, I didn't dive. I'm not Oprah, you know, I just try to have a conversation. <laughs> this is a cultural podcast, goddammit. <laughs> Listen to it. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we, we just try to, you know... Um, cover some stuff but to also communicate uh you know certain cultural messages and whatnot and before i kind of like let you go we still have like a thing called end game i like to play at the end of the podcast but let me ask you do you have any questions for me uh, in general no i'm i'm honestly like does your audience have other specific questions i would love to i mean again i am uh, well, first of all, I'm on. Uh, I'm I'm honored to be here. Second, it's to be able to share um, my personal and cultural experience around how I got here in the United States, beyond, and how we perceive things. So I would. Uh, I'm thankful for you for that. Um, but if you're, uh, I'm, I really wanted to share my experience with your audience as well. So got it. Yeah, I mean, most likely, like 
like at the end of the podcast we'll have an opportunity to drop your are you big on social media instagram facebook yeah okay mm-hmm. okay i mean we'll have opportunities to drop your handles and all that yes they can reach out to you and say hey i, I like that podcast or no social lens to shut up you know like yep, they always yep, say yep, but yeah <laughs> it's all please good. do let me know um i have this thing i play at the end of the podcast uh called endgame um and I, it's just a game at the end of the podcast to try to deliberately pass you know, certain information about you know culture, where, where you're from. I know it's been a while since you've been in Afghanistan, but I kind of like have two questions about Afghanistan and one about Denver, Colorado. Okay. So um, let's see how this goes. Um, you ready? Let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So first question, when is the Afghan New Year every year? So it's called Noro's. I don't know what day, but it's the first day of the spring exactly. every year. Okay. <laughs> exactly. It is the first day of the spring and it is called Noro's. I thought that was actually pronounced Nauro's. 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 Yeah. yeah. But yeah. You, you'll know better than me. But it is March 21st. Okay. Uh, every year, the first first day of the spring and uh, that's pretty interesting to see because I in- interviewed someone from Ethiopia and he was telling me how their calendar differs as well they yeah. have like 13 months like even the in China you know they have the Chinese mm-hmm. New Year like different things it's just interesting to see how you know chronologically now not everyone is on the same page but we all live in the same world you know? yeah and that um, March 10th, 21st. 21st. Uh, Timeline comes from a Muslim calendar in Afghanistan. That's how they're coming about that deadline. So they are spread apart. Cool, cool. Yeah. Second question. What's the Afghani currency or the Afghan currency? Oh, Afghani. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's it. I mean, yes. Uh, yes, that's it. Okay, that's it. <laughs> like, is that yes, Afghani? Yeah, that's more like two for two <laughs> so far. And I actually just made that mistake as I was asking that question because like, a lot of people refer to uh, people from Afghanistan of Afga- as Afghanis, but that's actually incorrect. Um, Afghanis is the currency of Afghanistan, and people from Afghanistan are called Afghans. Okay. So yeah. when you're referring to someone from uh, Afghanistan, he, he or she is an Afghan, not an Afghani. That's the currency. So a little bit of yep, yeah. trivia there so you guys can <laughs> learn something. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> All right, final question about Denver. So I actually didn't know this, but Denver happens to be one of the cities that have quite a number of professional sports teams. Apparently, we have seven professional sports teams. Okay. Can you name a couple of them? Swim team? No. Professional, like you get paid to... Like oh, a league. Uh, a league. Oh, Denver Broncos. There we go. The NBA. I mean, the Nuggets. There we go, too. Um... Outlaws? Do they count as one? Three lacrosse, yeah. Okay, lacrosse, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. So, and Nuggets, Broncos, mm-hmm. Outlaws. Oh, goodness gracious. I don't know a lot about sports, so let me try this again. Uh, hockey, 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 hockey. Uh, I don't know them. <laughs> okay, the, I know the hockey team, but I don't know their name. Let me give you a hint. It has something to do with snow. It's like when the snow falls. The rap? No. Uh, that, that too. That's soccer, actually. Oh, the rapids? The rapids is okay. soccer. So okay. four. Okay. <laughs> you again, you're four out of seven. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Worth a game. Like no, that, that's actually impressive because I didn't know like half of these. Like I Googled them and uh, okay. the Colorado Rockies baseball. Um, baseball, call, yeah. Uh, Colorado Avalanche hockey. Avalanche. 
Rapids, like you said, soccer, uh, Colorado, Denver Outlaws, lacrosse. Okay. Yeah, we actually have two lacrosse teams. We have the Colorado Mammoth lacrosse also. The Mammoth, yeah. The Denver Barbarians, for some reason. Rugby? I don't know what that is. <laughs> that, was, that was surprising to me. I don't know me. what the Barbarians yeah, are. That's a rugby team. I'm like, Denver has such cool people. Why the Barbarians? You know? <laughs> Then, of course, the Denver Nuggets basketball and the Denver Broncos uh, football. Huh. There are also the Colorado Buffaloes, which is the NCAA D1 football team of the University wow. of Colorado. Yeah, I mean, so, Buffaloes, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was, uh, I mean, you, you did better than me. I have the answers right in front of me. That's why I, <laughs> I think I I tried, I tried. <laughs> oh, most definitely, man. Thank you so much uh, for being on Thank the podcast. Thank you. Um, if you want to, like, drop your social media, like, have any last words, whatever it is, like, you kind of, like, have the floor. Yeah, so I uh, want to give a special shout out to you and thank you to you for having me on here and also um, Victor for connecting us. Hey, shout out to that. Um, but if you guys have any questions around my journey and where I am in my life, and if you need to reach out to me, please do so. Uh, my uh, Instagram handle is G-O-G-O-B-O-O-G-Y, GoGoBiggie, at GoGoBiggie. Please uh, reach out to me at that. And then if you need to reach out to me at Facebook, it's at A-S-Zahidi, Z-A-H-I-D-I. Uh, but more importantly, I want you to know that, you know, uh, a lot of us go through this journey and uh, we do not need to be alone into this process. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you feel like you need to reach out, um, I'm your guy, he's your guy. And um, yeah, the differences are going to make us better. So perfectly said, yeah. perfectly said. I mean, you know, <laughs> I like you, you're just getting started. You're not even 30 yet. Like, based on what you've gone through and what you're achieved, I know you just have so much like in the future and uh you know i really look forward to getting to see you like you know growing and i hope higher. we stay in contact oh most definitely <laughs> yeah, we're definitely, definitely gonna stay in contact man. <laughs> oh man like uh, as usual you guys can follow culture class podcasts culture class podcast on all platforms uh send us an email culture class podcasts at gmail.com uh, we're on reddit we're on uh, we should probably get an only fans account at this point <laughs> 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 or kind of like everywhere but yeah, let, us know, let us know what you think about the episode and what what are we going to title this episode what do you think i say from afghanistan all the way through to the colorado mountains sounds like a longest title um out of afghanistan to colorado there we go okay we'll make it work out of afghanistan to colorado that's what i'm gonna call it all right all right, <laughs> all right guys till next time uh stay well thank you <laughs>